Is everybody in? Is everybody in? The show is about to begin. What's up, everybody? I'm Rex. And I'm Zach. We're with Uncured. And this is Concerts That Made Us. You're not alone in hell. I'm sticking by you, right beside you. You're not alone right now, so let's break out. You've been through hell. And I know.
Kraken Rex. You're very welcome to concerts that made us. Thank you so much for having us, Brian. Very happy to be here. It's great to have you. I'm looking forward to diving into your music now and getting some insights. So we opened the show with Let's Break Out. It's off your upcoming EP, My Design. Would you like to tell us a bit about the track? Yeah, Let's Break Out is the first song off our upcoming EP, My Design. And uh, we wanted to leave with this one because I think it's a pretty bold statement and, you know, a good indication of what's to come for the rest of the EP. That being said, this is definitely one of the catchier, more commercial sounding songs. So it makes sense to release first. But, um, you know, for the fans of darker things, uh, we got a lot of songs coming that have a much more uh, dark energy and like, you know, more of an edgy vibe as well. So I'm very excited for everybody to be listening to the track. And I, I can't wait to put out the rest of them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's uh, that you're right. It's very catchy, very catchy. And it's real kind of, you know without even noticing you're kind of bobbing your head along how does this how do you guys feel about you know putting out well making a really catchy song as opposed to the darker stuff so we've always um been a fan of like catchy choruses and whether it's that rock active rock um, metal genre with like a catchy chorus that's something we've liked since we were young but when we started off making music it um it does almost require more music um, writing knowledge, more music theory, and it's not something you could just do first try. So it took us a few years to get here and develop uh, as songwriters. But um, now that we're able to do it, it's music that we like to listen to and play. So it's um it's that whole process. But we're really stoked that we can make our favorite kind of music. And I guess you know a different way to think about that is I have said this once or twice before. And I believe it. It is harder to make a high quality pop song than it is to make a high quality progressive song. And I know that initially that sounds a little bit counterintuitive, (laughs) but um, you have such a limited amount of things that you can do in a pop song, whereas you have an infinite number of things you can do in a progressive metal song, for example, right? So you're way more constrained. So to make something that I think is truly high quality as far as like the way it fits together, lyrics, chord progressions, changes, all that stuff feels very limited. So it takes a higher level of skill to execute that well, as opposed to something progressive where, you know, you can throw on a pedal and uh, carry a whole section with Mm -hmm. one thing alone. Yeah, that's actually that's that's very good now that's something i've never really thought of because you know your instant thought is oh pop music is way easier to uh to create just press a few buttons on a computer come up with some sort of catchy rhyme you know and there you go but yeah it does it makes sense and i, I guess one other thing on that point i'm sorry to interrupt you but um i do think a lot of people dismiss pop music usually because of the artist that's releasing it but 99.9 percent of the time that's not the person writing the song it's being written by True somebody who's written you know thousands of songs and they've been writing songs for these top artists for years and years and years so i think that it's an easy thing to dismiss like you know if justin bieber releases a song you go it's justin bieber whatever (laughs) but it's not written by him it's written by um you know by brilliant musicians true true actually yeah isn't there uh there's some publishing house in london i think and they've written like 90 percent of the number one pop songs over the last 10 15 years isn't that crazy crazy. yeah yeah yeah. i'd like to talk to that guy (laughs) yeah exactly exactly i'd like to see his bank account must be pretty big (laughs) and uh 
you guys have a pretty cool music video as well. Would you like to tell us a bit about it? What was the process like making it? Yeah, so this was an idea that we'd been kicking around for a while. Um, and I, I was, a, I guess, one of the larger proponents of this idea because I, I like kind of cross-genre um, things, basically just anything that's cross-genre. I think it's awesome. And um, I've always been, you know, always wanted to see more of a visual component added into rock and metal. So I think the obvious, you know, the most obvious music, visual component that you add to music is usually dance. But that's been, you know, relegated strictly to pop, hip hop, rap. And, uh, you know, since this song is definitely an active rock song with hints of metal, but also hints of pop, I thought this would be the perfect one to, you know, finally implement this idea that I've been wanting to do for a long time. So we, we worked with a dance school in New Jersey. And um, I guess you can talk a little bit about the shoot there. Yeah, we had um, we uh, went to a place called the Capitol Theater in uh, New York. And we had um, a full dance troupe of eight people with their um, their uh, coaches, makeup artists. We had our full band and um, our film crew. And it was quite um, quite an, uh, something new that we've done as a band before. It was really fantastic to see a choreographed dance to our music and having it all filmed. We spent hours there. And um, it's also important, I think, to have dance with music because it helps make the song more memorable when there's also in um, a choreographed dance just for it. So it's another way we, you do want it to be catchy, but also um, you remember it more when you see something with it. There, there's the three types of learning, right? So you have visual learner, uh, auditory learner, and what's the last one? Doing stuff. <laughs> the doing stuff. Learning. No, no. There's looking at stuff, hearing stuff, and then know, like I writing it's, stuff. I know it's something. Yeah. It's, is what it is. Something. I don't remember the name. But the point is, we should. Um, that up. You know, for for songs, songs are purely just audio. Hmm. So if you have a music video, you have a huge opportunity to captivate somebody in a different way. And um, a lot of the times, music videos aren't in rhythm you know they yeah like you have your performance sections but then if you have like story sections they don't line up so i think that this was a pretty cool way to um to just stimulate the brain you know <laughs> twice as hard um to the same song so uh you're telling us we can expect like thousands of people trying to emulate the dance moves on TikTok. no we we didn't say that <laughs> that'd be awesome that would be fantastic definitely a long-term thing but um we're just starting off with a uh, dance matching the song and we're going to go from there. And, you know, that being said, um, this this is not this song and video don't really have a harder aesthetic, but um, we just saw the latest cut of the heaviest songs music video. And uh, it, is, it is brutal. So, yeah, you know, I, I think that uh, it's it's really awesome that we at this point get to get to walk both lines. So you want to make a song that's kind of like active rock pushing pop. Or we want to make a song that's, you know, aggressive metal pushing even, you know, even heavier. We have the ability to do that. So uh, I'm, I'm pretty I'm pretty happy that um, everything is lined up, you know, how it has. Yeah. So uh, we do have two more um, official music videos to release for this release. And um, we're not actually sure of the order of it yet. One is more of a ballad than the other one is a very heavy, brutal video that Rex was talking about. So whichever one of those is next, we do, uh, whether it's the softer one or the heavy one, uh, we just want people to know that we still have a variety of songs because we don't want every song to sound the same. And I guess moreover on that front, 
uh, I think there's a way more, there's such a wide variety of, you know, human emotion that everybody feels. So it's, it's a little unusual to me how some bands will just like pick one specific sound, like mood, storytelling, energy, like everything. They just pick one specific thing and they go with it. And in some ways that does help you kind of kickstart faster, but it puts much lower ceiling on what you're able to really accomplish in my opinion. So um, since we do have a pretty wide variety of things in the early years, it hasn't necessarily helped us, but I do feel pretty strongly. And I know that Zach does Mm -hmm. as well, that um, basically us just, you know, letting the artistry dictate what we make uh, will in turn pay us larger dividends. Ah, And you know, I was dying to ask when you're kind of, you know, not so much genre hopping, but you know, you're kind of on the fence between genres. You can, as you said, you can touch on pop, heavier stuff, rock. What's it like getting your music out there to new listeners and, you know, gaining new fans? So that's, a, I mean, that like anything is a double-edged sword, right? So uh, <laughs> uh, we were, you know, for the most part, heavier as we were coming up. But, um, you know, like I said, that's just because we didn't have the musical ability to really successfully um, make active rock songs, which are essentially pop songs dressed up as rock and metal. Right. I mean, listen to any any of your favorite new metalcore bands. Those are pop songs, but they have riffs, a couple of screams, um, you know, some 808 in the breakdown. Like, well, you, know, you you remove those things, you strip it all the way back. You could change the production, mm-hmm. maybe change the lyrics a little bit, and you got a pop song. So, um, I, I think it just all—it all just comes down to how how you dress things up, and um, a good song will be a good song in any genre, and and that's that's something that actually one of the we you know we've worked with a variety of people over the years, even though you know we produced the album, uh, we we always learn from everybody we work with, like whether we like the person or not, whether, you know, whether we end up using any like material we write with them or something like that. uh, It doesn't matter because every experience is a uh, learning experience. And uh, that one's really stuck with me. Somebody said a good song will be a good song in any genre. I feel like um, there's going to be listeners out there now saying they should prove it and pick like a, a Britney Spears song or something and dress it up as a rock song and see how it comes out. Oh, I, I'm totally down for that idea. Yeah, oh, for sure. I mean, we did, we did, um, you know, it, not quite what you're saying, but we do have a cover of One Step Closer uh, by Linkin Park, which is probably one of the most iconic rock songs of all time. So, yeah, I mean, and we we did that one pretty true, the original, because that song is so iconic. And, uh, you know, obviously Chester is, in my opinion, the greatest, you know, rock vocalist ever. So mm. definitely wanted to do that one justice as it was, as it was originally intended. Yeah, yeah. At this stage, I usually like to delve into my guests' personal history when it comes to music. So it'll actually be quite easy now because you're brothers. You'll probably have sim- very similar experiences. But can you remember your earliest musical memory? Musical memory. You have a better memory than me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, well, I will. Yeah, I do remember when I was maybe, you know, six, seven or eight years old, I was listening to... um. I believe FM radio and I heard in flames on it for the first time. The song was embody the invisible and it starts off with a sick harmonized guitar lead. 
And that was the first time I probably like heard rock metal. And I was like, wow, this is awesome. And I still remember that to this day. Do you really? Like yeah. you remember that actual? Yeah, moment? I had the little silver radio and it was like angled <laughs> like a little ski jump even. <laughs> it was like, it, go, it was like whoosh, the little radio. I can kind of see it in my head. Okay, yeah. yeah. Um, my earliest musical memory you don't remember what you had for lunch no it's also it's also <laughs> just a blur so that was a good answer i'm just gonna keep zach's answer <laughs> okay okay and did you guys grow up in a, a very musical household you know do you, do you get your love for music from your parents yeah so our our dad was a pretty big fan of progressive music so um he would he would play things on a pretty wide spectrum so we had like america the band he used to play them all the time and then he would also play like Opeth and Mastodon a lot. So, I mean, and everything in between. So there's a pretty wide variety of things that we were exposed to from a young age. Um, so essentially we didn't really grow up listening to like, you know, the top 40 hits. We were kind of listening to deeper cuts of progressive music because that's just what we were exposed to. You know, when you're like 11, you're not like digging into trying to find new bands. You just like want to go play outside. I, mm -hmm. I don't know. That, that's what I was when I was. <laughs> but um, yeah, so I mean, we, we were just exposed to to those songs and, and those genres from a pretty early age. And uh, it definitely left a, a long print on our uh, our writing as well, because, you know, all of our first releases were so progressive. And I'm glad that we went through that avenue, because now having done, you know, an EP uh, and two full albums of kind of more progressive music, we um, we just have like a, a deeper understanding of of that genre um, while at the yeah at the same time simultaneously studying the top 40. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah and uh what was the you know the first time when you guys kind of really said i want to be a musician i'm going to really make a good go at this hmm. i think when i was in seventh grade i sort of realized that uh that school wasn't really for me and it, it wasn't like I uh, was like too dumb for school. Or anything. It was more, it was too smart. For, yeah, I was too smart for school. It was more yeah. like it was more like, um, you know, I just I could just tell that there was no there was nothing else in the entire world that I was passionate about. So once I kind of came to that conclusion, like music is the only thing I'm passionate about, uh, I, I felt like, you know, I, I needed to to pursue that as as what I do for, you know, for the rest of my life. And. I think um, uh, Zach was, you know, Zach was into the idea for sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and what, you know, what was the first steps? Was it buying a music or what, buying a musician? Was it buying an instrument or, you know, did you go the formal route of maybe studying it in school? You know, so we got like um, the Fender Stratocaster starter pack for like $200 back when we were like 10 and 12. Comes with an amp, a guitar, a cable, a tuner, pretty much all the things you need to get started. And we, um, like any young kids, like, you know, would pick it up, would quit for a little bit, would try again. We had some lessons here and there, nothing really stuck. And it was like that for a few years yeah, until this was, we this was pretty young. I think it was until we picked it up again on our own and then started like writing songs together. Yeah, so I mean we like right right when we first had our, you know, first musical instruments, like which was, you know, as I said, the Fender starter pack, um, we were we were really young. I mean, I might have even been single digits in age. 
and uh, then it, it wasn't. <laughs> you're breathing really loud. <laughs> and then it, it wasn't until you know, like I think I was around 13. You were like 15. That we we kind of started to really get into it, and I I would consider us self taught because you know all of the lessons that we originally had it, it didn't last or leave an imprint or anything. But um, you know I would say that once once we just really dove into it, started reading books on like music theory and stuff. That that's when you know you're you're really dedicated. Yeah, yeah. Before we dive into your concert experiences, then what growing up now, what was your you know local music scene like? local music scene you know we we played uh in our schools like jazz band and stuff and there's a video of me uh doing something i wasn't supposed to because it had like this traditional jazz band i was supposed to play like a blues solo but um you know i was i was like a young teenager so i just turned the amp to super distortion i did something terrible <laughs> like, like it was really bad we do have a video of it um yeah, it was an absolute abomination of a solo. <laughs> but I mean, I don't, I don't regret it whatsoever because, like, energetically, that that's where I was at. So. I remember that, like, the night before, you were like playing, and you were like, "This works for the solo, right?" And I was like, "Yeah, I got it. <laughs> go for it." Yeah, but the thing is, he he knew it was a trash solo, but you know, I appreciate I appreciated that uh, he was like, "Yeah." Well, I mean, at the time, I was probably thinking, "Wow, that's pretty good." <laughs> I don't even think it was in the right key or anything. We have to watch back. <laughs> I remember it's like, do, 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 do. but I mean, so as far as our like, you know, personal music scene, we were when we were young, you know, we were all just about like, you know, we were playing sports mm. and stuff like that. But um, once we committed, we, you know, we, we kind of committed full time. And, you know, soon after when when I was 16 and Zach was 18, we got um, an offer to tour with a band called Catatonia. So we obviously took that tour, dropped out of high school, and we've been touring professionally ever since for over five years. And as a concert Gordon, concerts you've attended, what concerts do you think have made you? Well, we went to um, a bunch of Opeth and Dream Theater concerts back when we were younger. And those are um, like now one of the most, like Opeth used to be one of like the, like a huge death metal band, but also progressive metal. Mm -hmm. So we got um, a lot of influences from them, whether they would have um, they do their heavy songs and they'd have an acoustic on stage and all that variety as a uh, same thing with Dream Theater. But like um, that's the other end, more um, like super technical, clean and um, precise. And as well as our love for guitar solos, we got from John Petrucci and seeing like I know we saw Dream Theater once where they had like TV screens up or something and it was like a. I don't know where it was, but it was somewhere pretty big. And like they'd have all the close ups on the guitar solos, even though we were far yeah, on away. The screen. Yeah, I remember yeah. that. That was awesome. Yeah. yeah. And you know, what's, what's funny is since that was, I think, one of my earliest concerts, I thought like everybody did that. Right, <laughs> I right. thought everybody had like a TV screen or it was like close ups <laughs> of a fretboard. And I was like, no, nobody else does that. <laughs> but in retrospect, that's really cool. And, uh, Ideally, one day if we get big enough, we'll get uh, that's right. Get those TV screens, get some mm -hmm. close-ups. That's fingers. right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that'd be pretty cool. Is it true that uh, Dream Theater, like their concerts, are like about six hours long? That they're extremely <laughs> long. I mean, they're if nice. it was back then, we definitely wouldn't have stayed the whole time because we were young. <laughs> well, I, you know, maybe two hours, but there wasn't like opening bands, so it could have been a, a I think, couple. I hours. think it was like two hours maybe two hours 15 minutes 
Because um, I know that we have that Dream Theater DVD, uh, which oh. was like two hours, 15 minutes. Um, yeah. And we've also seen, uh, we went to see Blackville Brides, which was awesome because we're just big fans of Blackville Brides. Uh, and I guess, I guess those are kind of the, the ones that jump out to me the yeah, most. Definitely. Yeah, definitely. Oh, pretty cool. Some good shows there. And you guys, you've performed 300 shows across 14 countries as a band as a young band how do you get to the stage where you can you know travel overseas and play shows well we've been doing this for you know over five years professionally as i've said and um we were just lucky enough that we could keep stringing you know this this batch of shows into this batch of shows um so i mean yeah it's it's just an honor and a privilege to get to to get to play Mm -hmm. so many shows because it is truly our favorite thing to do uh like not nothing else really compares so Yes, I love tracking vocals. I love working in the studio. Well, it has its ups and downs. <laughs> uh, I enjoy rehearsing, you know, everything like that. But just absolutely nothing compares to uh, being on tour, being on stage. Right. And, um, you know, getting get to do it with uh, with um, Zach and company. There we go. And uh, you've shared the stage with some pretty big names as well. What do you learn when you're playing with bands on that level? Well, we do always try to pick up something we learn from one band each tour and figure out how we could improve ourselves and our set for the next tour. Whether it's um, like on one of our earliest tours, we used to be using like amps and cabs and it took up so much space. It was such a mess. And then we uh, like um, one of the guitarists in the headlining band showed us like about Axe effects and digital guitars and things like that. So um, we've always, yeah, we've always tried to implement um, whether it's like something from the headliner, whether it's like a gear recommendation or microphones or even things like what they do in their physical performance or like their samples and intro tracks. We always just try to find something to slightly improve our live show. Yeah, it's like we talked about before, you know, regardless of um, of your personal opinion, there is always something to be learned. So we, we try to keep that mentality. And, um, you know, there, there's there's no egos in this band. I mean, there is in a healthy way, but there's no like, uh, <laughs> there's no, like unhealthy egos like, uh, you know, that, that would prevent us from continuing on that search of like constantly improving. Yeah, yeah. And do you find that the bigger bands are always open to, you know, sharing stuff and just giving you tips and hints to, to improve? Uh, it, de- it depends. But, um, you know, for the most part, uh a lot of the a lot of the bands are pretty are pretty you know forthcoming and sharing in like their knowledge and stuff um and i have noticed that you know sometimes it's like the bigger bands are actually the ones that are more inclined to do that same way like you know if you go to the gym uh there's like a huge guy there he's usually not going to be a jerk he's going to be like you know <laughs> he's not available to give you a spot or whatever like that it's like it's just it's just kind of a mentality where if you're i think kind of confident in your accomplishments and and who you are then you know, you're, you're more, you're more willing to share information and, um, you know, just like, you're just more confident and reassured in yourself. Oh yeah. That's actually something I've heard time and time again. It's always the guys at the top that are, you know, there's no egos and they're just lovely people. It's more so not all, but some of the guys in the middle that tend to have the egos and are a bit kind of drama queens and stuff like that. You know, I think, um, it's, I guess the closer two bands are to the same quote level, 
the more there's going to, the more likely there is to be, you know, some kind of butting heads because there's only a certain number of quote spots in um, the heavy, heavy music scene. And uh, a lot of bands are fighting for the same spots. Now that doesn't mean that you are like against other bands. That, that's not the mentality you should have whatsoever because everybody's on the same, the same goal and they should be on the same wavelength. But um, you know, that, that is just one of those kind of little, little microcosms you might see. Yeah, true, true. Now, I can't wait to hear this. For any listeners that haven't caught one of your shows, what can they expect? They can expect a high-energy performance that uh, will be very captivating. And I feel confident saying that because uh, we put a great level of thought into you know, the details, but also the big picture. And, uh, I think that it's impossible to be bored during one of our shows. It's, it's just not possible. <laughs> so I think everybody that's in the audience is there in one moment, all together, focused on the same thing. And you can, you can definitely feel it. And it's pretty powerful. Yeah. And how do you work on perfecting your, your stage show and your stage presence? Uh, well, we have uh, like multiple phases to our rehearsal and uh, I guess not to go into too much detail, but uh, you've heard people say in an orchestra, Practice is for learning your parts. Rehearsal is for learning everybody else's parts. Mm. Now, since we already have the song done, that's not the case. Everybody should know everybody's part coming in. Um, so then it's just about taking that next step, making sure everybody's playing it exactly as it should be played, making sure that, you know, the three stringed instruments, two or three, depending, um, are like doing the same hammer on slides, everything. So that's kind of phase one, making sure it's super perfect. Phase two is uh, more about the physical performance. So like making sure headbanging is synchronized, uh, planning out kind of like movements across the stage, things like that. And then, um, you know, stage three, we will go to um, a warehouse actually at our gym because we're friends with the owner and uh, we rehearse there. So we film those rehearsals kind of like a sports team, watch them back, listen back and just make sure everything is is on point. Jeez, that's uh, I haven't heard many bands saying to do that especially recording it and watching it back i like that now it shows how dedicated you are thank you yeah it, that, that part can be a little bit not fun i guess probably mostly for me because you know i can't sing the songs as much as you can play the songs just because you know your voice is a physical instrument right or rather part of your body i should say it's not it's not a physical instrument <laughs> um so yeah i i can't you know practice them all the time so sometimes uh I'll like hear it in the in that kind of stage of rehearsal. And I'll be like, "Oh boy, that's bad." <laughs> and you know, I have to go back and practice to make sure that everything is up to par. But yeah. um, that that's why that stage is so crucial because you hear things that you just can't really hear in the practice room. Yeah, yeah. And when it comes to touring overseas, then you know most European bands, in fact, bands from any other country, I suppose, their target is to get to America and play in America. As an American band, how do you approach, you know, playing overseas? How do you view it? Well, we um, we've only played overseas uh, once in Europe on a tour, which was about like 14 shows. And then we did seven shows in South America and um, both very different experiences from each other and from U.S. So on Europe, it was our first time on a, a tour bus with another band and it was pretty sick. But um it's just different traveling when you don't got any windows and you don't know when you can stop. So, but it's definitely playing Europe was quite fantastic. It was 2018 when we did that. 
and we are um, excited to do it again because the crowds there are always big and people love metal there and which is also very similar to South America. We played a bunch of shows in Brazil, Argentina and Chile. And um, the difference there was we flew between every show. And that was definitely, we'd all collectively say our favorite tour that we've done. And yeah, that, that um, was unmatched. <laughs> oh yeah, for sure. The crowds were all huge. There were people waiting at the airports, at the venues, at the hotels. Yeah, I, I mean, we didn't even know where we were gonna be like staying or where the airports were. Like we didn't, we didn't know all these details, but somehow, um fans knew showed up and were there and it was it was awesome because you know in the united states um you'll have fans of the band and uh you know well if if there's like a restaurant next door or whatever like that that kind of thing happens all the time mm. but um everybody there even if they know us are just like way more like hey how are you very understated like very excited for the show but like that that kind of thing it's like mm. more kept at a distance whereas the fans in south america were like ah <laughs> which, is, which is awesome <laughs> Jeez, i suppose at same time though it can be a bit scary when they're kind of over the top like that uh no no i wouldn't say it's scary it's more just uh exciting yeah definitely it, yeah it feels good yeah and out of the gigs you've played then is there one that you know you could pinpoint and say was perfect that it's almost the gig that has made you um what was that show um that Aline came to in south america uh sao paulo in sao south paulo? america that was pretty uh, good. it's hard to say one gig made us but definitely that show and that whole to tour sticks out and we did feel as if we were um like truly well known and um felt like everyone knew our songs and was there for our music and that was just quite a, a fantastic feeling yeah so i'd say any one of those shows in south america and you know i always say you have to have the good with the bad so you can use any gig from when you first start playing is there an experience you had that maybe just wasn't going right and how did you deal with it oh we've had tons of that <laughs> <laughs> so yeah but yeah we played almost three somewhere around 300 shows i'm not sure the exact number but um you know of course you're gonna have plenty of gigs that um where there's problems, but I, I don't view that as a bad thing whatsoever because, you know, like we talked about before, uh, those are all just learning experiences. So we've gotten all the bad gigs out of the way. So if you come see Uncured now, it's going to be on top of our game. I promise right. you that regardless of anything, we'll be on top right. of our game. And also just since um, probably for the listeners that are curious, we've had all things happen, you know, from like a broken string, broken snare drum to um the power all the power out. going out in the venue <laughs> so our all of our gears run off of one uh unit right hmm. so we were we had that one unit plugged into one um you know einstein in the wall like where yeah. you plug in something and that's einstein yeah it's called einstein. <laughs> i didn't know that like an iec einstein plug anyway <laughs> um that one circuit blew so right. we, you know everything shuts off and the only thing that still was coming through the pa was drums so we had a little drum solo actually, uh -huh. you know? <laughs> and there was even a time where i thought my axe effects was having an issue no don't tell this story you no, don't look like no, me no, but it's but this is so it's like my I, my axe effects was having an issue but this was the one time we had to swip, switch where we were standing on stage because there was like stuff in the way 
and I thought we switched our axe effects, but then we switched them back. <laughs> so anyway, I ended up turning off his axe effects. Because and mine wasn't working. Because mine wasn't yeah. working. So then it was just drums and basses. Like, Jeez, <laughs> that was wrong. I remember I, remember I, was, I was doing vocals at, at this time, I believe. And I was playing at the same time. So I hear Zach's guitar cuts out because we have everything monitored, monitored in our in-ears. Mm. And I was like, okay, Zach's going to go fix it. I see him. And then I was like, wait, what is he doing? That's my – oh, no. And he turns it off. And it we just switched stopped. sides. We switched the axe effects yeah. back and forth. And then I just turned off the one. That I, I remember because you did look like absolutely bamboozled. Yeah, it was – yeah, but um, all those things like you don't – if you just go see a band, stand there and play a perfect set, that's cool and all. But it's also – there's other things that make it memorable, like what happens in between songs, or if there's like a weird mistake that's like, I don't know how that happened. And it's um, it's all about like the live show is all about the fun and the experience of it, not just um, like something perfect and regimented. Like there's obviously going to be things that come up and we're going to fix them on the fly and still put on a great show. But sometimes, you know, funny and weird stuff just happens and you go with it. Yeah, well said. That's something my mom was saying. Nobody goes to a show to hear a perfect recreation of, you know, a CD or Spotify. You know, you want the little imperfections and the laughs and the jokes, you know? Well, we we um, grew up watching Queen live at Wembley Stadium. And I remember one of the things that Freddie Mercury said was, if you just want to hear a perfect rendition of the song, stay home and listen to the record. So, I mean, I, I'm not sure if he was making a joke because I think I read that. I didn't hear how he actually said it. But um, whether it's a joke or not, it's definitely true. Because if you do want to hear like a perfect rendition, 100% perfect, listen to the, uh, you know, stream the song. But uh, if you want to hear it played like raw, live, um, more powerfully, in my opinion, you hear it live. That being said, though, we do everything we can to make it sound as accurate as possible. So, you know, you want to walk that line um, and make sure that everything is, you know, super real and raw, but at the same time as accurate to the recording as possible. Yeah, true, true. And when it comes to touring, then, if there's anything you can tell us, what antics do you guys get up to? Any wild trashing hotel rooms and no, stuff no, like we, that? Uh, we, no, we don't, we don't trash anything. <laughs> um, if anything, we leave it we leave it cleaner than we found it. Because we all, we, all have, we all have a touch of like OCD when it comes to that kind of thing. So everything is very pristine and clean. Um, now, as far as antics... Um, no, I mean, sometimes other people cause trouble, but, uh, you know, I think of us as kind of like, you know, we, we resolve it because, you know. Yeah, we, do, we definitely don't cause antics, you know, we, uh, work hard, we're professional and we, um, just try to like get a good workout in when we have free time or an off day. And, um, yeah, I mean, there's been a handful of times where people like want to start something with us, but we're, in my opinion, we're, we're above that. So we just deescalate. I mean. It's it's different if somebody like you know were to were to cross the line, but people just like to get up to that line because it's a bad idea to cross it. Yeah, yeah, I get you, I get you. And when you're when you're getting ready for a show, what's your pre-show ritual and your post-show ritual? How do you kind of psych yourself up, and then how do you wind down? Talk about our post. Uh, I'll I'll, t- I'll yeah, do a little yeah, bit of both. Yes, yeah, so pre-show, like um, I always warm up guitar for as much as I can, but also frequently if there's bands before us and the doors are open, I'd be selling some merch mm-hmm. and then I'd need to go sneak out um, to the van to get changed into my uh, stage gear. But um, then I, and I need to squeeze in warming up guitar and vocals. So there's definitely 
a lot of things to do, but we all always meet up side stage like 10 minutes before. And because um, everyone has their own warm up and things that they need to take care of. But um, we all do that warm up, get changed, and we got to meet side stage like 10 minutes before to get ready. I actually started prepping about an hour, 40 minutes prior to um, we actually get on stage. So we have that 10 minutes beforehand. So that's the that's the 10 accounted for. And then it's an hour 30 from that. So I like to warm up uh, my voice and then kind of like just let it let it be as it is and not really talk that much for like 20 to 30 minutes where a lot of times I'll like jump rope or something like jump rope, shadow box, something kind of like bouncy and, and light. Yeah. 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 Um, and then I'll, you know, get into my stage clothes, uh, kind of get, make sure my voice is in check. I'll check it. Uh, warm up guitar, uh, kind of like walk around the vent, like part of the venue, just kind of see, see what's going on. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, I mean, basically just get into the right mindset to, uh, to kill it regardless. That's right. Yeah. And after the show, we um, frequently we uh, look back at videos from it. Like we were saying earlier from rehearsal, like a pro sports team would look back at the videos, their uh, their plays, their mistakes, what they did well. And we like look at um, what looks good visually in terms of headbanging and performance and also what doesn't look good. And we try to fix things and make sure we uh, improve it for the next night. All the talking between songs is, you know, Smooth, is logical clean, and not yeah. a <laughs> Make sure you're making sense. <laughs> and how do you guys measure success then when it comes to music? So I, I view it in two separate ways. So we have, um, you know, a goal as a business because, you know, being in a band is is running your own business. So in that aspect, we want to be the biggest band in the world. That's our goal, right? Obviously very lofty, but... Um, I think it's conceivable, you know, but, you know, we have steps along the way that like every time you hit a, another marker of you know, business success, that's a celebration, right? So it's, it's not, it's not um, set too high in the sense that uh, you, you can't like appreciate the little things, but as far as, you know, like our lives and I guess personal fulfillment, um, it's, it's pretty great. Like we're, I would, I feel like in that sense, um, it's already kind of a success because we do what we love and um, yeah, I mean, we get to do it together. So it's awesome. Brilliant. And I love getting this insight in 30 or 40 years time, you know, you're at the end of your career, you're probably playing gigs in the nursing homes. <laughs> what needs to have happened for you to feel 40? fulfilled? Well, I mean, 40 so I'd be years. 64. I'd be know? 62. Oh, no, I'm going to be so full of energy. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, yeah. I don't I don't accept that. <laughs> I, I mean, the goal is to be like where Metallica is now because they're I'm guessing right. they're around their 60s. And that's still yeah, um, so. yeah, 40 years from now is a long time. And we have uh, we plan to keep pursuing this and, um, you know, keep working hard and hopefully we'll have um, like um, some good amount of success because that's the end goal. And we just want to be able to have like um, a full, be able to tour full time, uh, gain fans all over the world and be able to, you know, headline any city, any country. Sounds like a solid plan. And before we dive into the last couple of questions, then what are your future plans? Tell us about the, the My Design EP and any tours coming up. So we have a couple of tours in the works, but um, you know how that game goes, but can't, can't talk about it until it's announced. 
But uh, we are playing those two festivals. Yes, we have uh, Welcome to Rockville in May and uh, Incarceration in July. And we do plan to have shows going into and out of those with other bands on those bills. And that's all in the works right now. And um, for the second half of the year, I suspect we'll be quite busy as well. But still, um, you know, details need to be uh, finalized. I know you can't say anything now, but can European fans maybe get a little bit excited? Uh, well, we're in... um, you know, I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah, I get um, excited for um, all the stuff on Spotify and YouTube. Yeah, I, I think that uh, we're going to be staying uh, in U.S. and Canada primarily. Mm-hmm. So there's a chance in the second half of this year. Um, okay. Europe- Fans, but that's that's why I don't want to say get excited now because you know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Twitter, so. And we'll uh, we'll dive into the last couple of questions. So everybody gets these, I'm afraid. So you can't get off the podcast the answer. If uh, you could see any performer from history for one night only in concert, who would it be? Well, that's easy. Yeah. What do you want to go? No, remember last time we had the same answer. Oh yeah, yeah. We, it was it would be a queen, and remember we already talked about it at Wembley Stadium. That's just so iconic, such an iconic stadium and concert. Not to mention Queen, one of the biggest bands ever. Um, that would have been uh, that would be one for the books. Yeah, definitely, definitely. That's actually a, a very common answer. Lots and lots yeah. of people say that. The next one, so. If you had to spend 24 hours locked inside a room with any musician from history, who would it be? Well, I already do spend 24 hours locked in a room. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't thought any about musician that. From history, I've not thought about that, but I would probably want to I would probably want to spend those 24 hours with that songwriter you were talking about who has all those number ones. That would be the That's most a good one. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> and the uh the final one. So, what song would appear on the soundtrack to your life? Hmm. Soundtrack. Was well, it one of our songs, or is it like um? Can be anything. Uh, it's not released yet. <laughs> <laughs> um, soundtrack uh, of our life. I mean, this at the moment since we just um downloaded let's break out onto our phones it's the first thing that plays when we get in the car automatically so uh, it's currently been the soundtrack even though not intentionally but it's, <laughs> we've been hearing that song a yeah. lot yeah we've heard that song a lot we've rehearsed <laughs> it a lot but like if you're talking like favorite songs by other bands i would put some motionless and white songs up there like um oh um disguise and werewolf one of their new ones i think i'd have i'd have uh I'd probably pick like um You can't think of a song? No, I can't. I just there's a lot to choose from. Name one song. <laughs> <laughs> I would do Dangerous by Morgan Wallen. That's what I would want it to be. Right, right, perfect. Listen, guys, it's been an absolute blast now. I've really enjoyed chatting to you. Hey, yeah. thank you so Ryan, much. Thank you so much. Hey, what's up everyone? My name is DJ JC and I'm one of the DJs over at Super Cool Radio. I host a one-hour metal show called The Brutal Block. We have new episodes every Tuesday dropping at noon. So if heavy metal music is something that you're into, then make your way over to The Brutal Block. Throw up the horns and let's get rocking. Hey guys, I really hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, please rate and review us on iTunes and Spotify. 
And if you're interested in signing up the Band Builder Academy, use the link in the show notes below and enter the code CONCERTS and you'll receive 10% off. So until next time, keep rocking. Hey, hey, what are you guys still doing there? The show is over. It's over. You can go home. Go on. We'll see you next time. We'll be here. Bye.